This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and happy last day of November from down here on Monument Circle. The home studio is uh, a little bit dusty and cold this evening, so I thought I'd make the drive here into Indianapolis, uh, which is why the audio sounds, oh, so so buttery and smooth. Well, you know, it's not buttery and smooth. A whole mess of news that broke down today. So first, in just under two hours, Gavin Newsom. Uh, Governor of California and Governor Ron DeSantis are facing off uh, on uh, Fox News with Sean Hannity moderating. Uh, It's going to be covered here on WIBC as well. And uh, I know that a lot of my other hosts and colleagues here on WIBC have expressed, you know, this is, you know, clearly DeSantis trying to kind of revivify his campaign, kind of give it some energy right before the Iowa primary. I've heard other people saying that this is kind of a political stunt for Newsom. And I think that there are elements to that. That is true. I do think that there I think Newsom is running. I think Nigel gets that spot on. Uh, I think that he's kind of waiting to see if if Joe Biden um is even able to function his way through the Democrat primary, uh, whereas you know DeSantis might be trying to shoot a little bit of energy into it. However, there is something just a little bit more important here. These two men are the futures of their parties, period. The style of politics that DeSantis brings to the Republican Party and the style of politics that Gavin Newsom brings to the Democrat Party are the future of both parties. And there are two reasons why. Number one, because they unify the four factions of each party. For the Republicans, Ron DeSantis unifies the populism through things like culture war and his aggression against Mexico. He unifies conservatives with his very pro-Christian and pro-life sentiment. He unifies libertarians through his pro-Second Amendment policies. And I mean the right-wing libertarians, the one that... uh, you know, kick up quite a fuss, but end up voting Republican anyway. And he also unites that branch of kind of the corporate establishment by showing that he can actually govern an economy of a state fairly well. His trade policies are phenomenal. He's the future of the Republican Party. He may have gotten on Trump's bad side, but if you remember five minutes before he chose to run against Trump, he was Trump's favorite person on planet Earth other than himself. He's the future of the Republican Party in the same way Gavin Newsom is the future of the Democrat Party. He unites the corporate Democrats. He unites the the very few 90s labor Democrats, all five of them left standing and breathing on this earth. He unites the progressives like AOC and the rest of the squad and the Green Party. He has a lot of weird green spiritualist, super duper hippie people that somehow crawled underneath the rocks of Woodstock to come out. This is the future of the Democrat Party. And that's what's at stake in this debate tonight. Sure, there's a lot of presidential candidacy mumbo jumbo okay look the 2024 election is going to come and go but the dichotomy of the american red state versus the blue state is the major political argument of the 21st century it is deciding once and for all whether kind of corporate labor democrat policies ended up producing good progressivism or whether traditional conservatism produces a solid economy and good culture That is what's at play, and that's what's going to be communicated tonight. Now, is that what everyone's going to be talking about after this thing is over? No, everyone has already decided who won this debate. But it is important that tonight you guys are going to get a glimpse if you choose to tune in and watch or listen. I know a lot of you aren't. You should because you are going to get a blueprint of what both parties have for the next 8 to 22 years in American politics. Guaranteed, that is what's happening tonight, and that's why it's important. Speaking of things that are important and are an absolute mess, the, and I, I, I'm just amazed to read this headline, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, actually broke 
laws and precedent today by taking uh, a vote to subpoena private citizens for their relationships to Supreme Court justices. And uh, those relationships aren't even germane to any cases that the Supreme Court justices are seeing. These are people who are just friends with Supreme Court justices. They are in nowhere near connected to anything that the SCOTUS judges are ruling on. Yet the Senate Judiciary Committee would not even hear the testimonies of Republicans in the Senate Judiciary Committee and it became an absolute mess. Allison, hit us with that first clip. This dick, I really don't. Mr. Chairman, is it you driving it, or is it your staff yes, driving Joe it, or is it the White House driving this? This is completely inappropriate not to let us be heard. They have forbid Republicans from speaking you know in their that. own committee. Your own members have told you to let it, let them speak. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. So you actually have Senate Democrats who have chosen to take a vote without even hearing other members of the committee. That is against the laws of the United States Senate. And it is against any precedent that has been set up at this point in time to accomplish something that is meant to foment hatred of Supreme Court justices. Remember, Justice Brett Kavanaugh was part of an assassination attempt just in the last few years. Because of the same kind of rhetoric that our Supreme Court is somehow deeply terrible and corrupt. Because one of them went on a cruise with someone who has never ever even expressed a public opinion regarding one of the cases that SCOTUS has ruled on. And and again, these things are only going to get worse as the Senate Democrats continue to push and push and push. Uh, Senator John Corbin decided to get in a few shots at uh, Democrat Senator Dick Durbin. Here's what that sounded like. Uh, Mr. Who, Chairman, who, you who just, has not been allowed to speak on that nomination? Mr. Chairman, you just destroyed yeah. one of the most important committees in the United States Senate. Chair would and you've set a precedent the chair which will know. be repeated every time one party or the other takes advantage and takes the low road. It sets a precedent that will then be become the norm. Congratulations on destroying the United States Senate Judiciary Committee. Now, that's not being overly dramatic, and here's why. The committees set up in state and federal legislatures are so both parties, no matter how much power they have, have an opportunity to argue in front of the public the good and the bad of every action taken by that body. That is what it is for. It requires, a republic requires its delegates to argue in favor of and against certain things based on principles so the public can hold them accountable. But now, in the Senate Judiciary Committee and other committees, that's no longer required. You don't even need committees anymore. The Democrats can just ram through anything they want fiat, and they've done this before. They did this with the the SCOTUS nominations. Remember the nuclear option, and Mitch McConnell, like him or hate him, he warned him. He said, hey guys, I warned you. I said, if you do this, then Republicans will be more than happy to ram this right past you. And here we are. We are ramping it up. All precedent is completely gone in the U.S. Senate. And Congress is literally becoming a game of who carries the bigger bat. Up next, we're going to be talking a little bit about sometimes identity politics and sometimes not identity politics with everyone's favorite Saturday host. That's right. Ethan Hatcher, you are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Go, 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 go. This is the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. You know, Ethan, whenever I'm just looking for a little more sanity in the world, what I do is 
I hop onto Twitter.com. You, you get me? You know, you just sometimes after a really cold day out in the weather, what you need to do is warm up next to a nice, warm dumpster fire. You feel uh, me? Yes. I, I, I thought that's where you were looking for calm, measured, reasonable yeah. takes on current events. Twitter, obviously. Yeah, I'm know. talking the Boston freeway of relaxation, you know. <laughs> and when it comes to, you know, relaxing, really what you need to do is is just turn on uh, some sports news. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I always that's definitely up, not me. Yeah. I, I am sports football averse. So, so you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to bear with me a little bit. No, that's why this is particularly great because allow me to explain the idea of why people like watching sports. Sports is an escape. It allows mm-hmm. people to sit back and enjoy something that is not at all remotely connected to anything that they are up to. That is one of the reasons why people, there's something fascinating for us watching the amazing skills of individuals out on the court or the field or whatever else they're playing on is, is really captivating. And when people watch sports news, they like to stay up to date on players. But when it comes to drama, somehow the sports stuff is always the craziest. So in yet another case of, you know, uh, NFL players beating their wives or pregnant women, um, a Buffalo Bills linebacker. Oh, no, Von- this, is, this isn't about Taylor Swift, is it? She's dating a, a NFL player, as I as I recall. No, thank God. Okay. And, and look, I, I am in studio with Allison, so we're going to keep the Taylor Swift comments to a minimum because she can throw a chair like Bobby Knight, God rest his soul. I'm glad Taylor's okay. Yes. So the long and short of it is that uh, Buffalo Bills linebacker uh, Von Miller is facing arrest for alleged assault. And uh, what what he, he did is he assaulted a, a pregnant woman, which I know. I, obviously, that's horrible and, and terrible, of course. That, all of us together, collectively, that's a horrible thing. But that's not what ABC News de- decided to um, like to call it. They, oh. they, today, they said, um, they said he's facing arrest for assaulting a pregnant person. <laughs> <laughs> so they did. They printed that. They did. They, that was they, in they, a they headline. Yeah, that, that oh was the headline. That was the headline that went out on X. That went out on the website. Now they have. Since, what gender was this pregnant person? Well, I mean, there are so many. Come on, dude. You got to <laughs> narrow it down. There's at least fifty different people. So, I, I just want to point that out as interesting. It's a horrible situation. It's it makes me anger. Makes my blood boil that a pregnant woman would be assaulted. Period. Much less by by you know some goober linebacker, linebacker who should know his strength, et cetera. Just the horrible situation just can't be overstated. But what really gets me is that the headline just before that was outrage over the young Chiefs fan for wearing black and red face. Now, if you don't get the connection, allow me to draw some lines here. Yes. Identity politics is totally okay to identify someone and say, well, you see, all people can be pregnant. That's not a woman-exclusive thing. I'm a realistically... Who are you to say what makes a woman? And then, yet five minutes ago, well, you can't be a Native American. How dare you dress like a... You know, wear a headdress like a Native American and paint your face red. That's just terrible and then this this is the best part so it came out that the young man at the kansas city chiefs game his grandfather raul armenta is a board member of the santa inez band of chumash indians so he is actually wait a minute his grandfather is a tribal leader this little of boy? A native american tribe yes that the boy who was wearing the headdress so <laughs> Are, so are what's kid- the left going to do about this? Yeah, so are you catching the double standard now? Yeah. I, that's what's just 
mind warping. People just want to sit down and watch sports, but instead you have to go through the the, the super hula hoop jumpity rope jungle gym double standard of well, we, you kind of can't decide what a woman is, but if you don't look like a 1862 photograph of some chief with a little bighorn, all of a sudden that that's not allowed. That's terrible. Let, let's broaden the conversation a little bit with another issue that will tie in. I'm not sure if you've seen the 60th anniversary special of Doctor Who, which was recently released. Uh, my wife was my wife was watching it a uh, little bit. Yeah, glorious. Yes. So this ties in perfectly with identity politics and goes to show that there's absolutely no consistency. Not like any members of this audience expected there would be from the left. Mm. But on the one hand, they'll utilize terms like pregnant person and keep it ambiguous when it's clearly a woman and on other on the other hand they'll go after this little boy for his black or red face or in the doctor who episode they positively declare that women know everything and oh wouldn't it be better if the doctor was uh, you know a woman time lord like he used to be you know instead of this male presenting time lord as he currently is so they'll bring in the the gender and Wait, the wasn't identity this when, when like though the alien was trying to blow up london that they were having mm-hmm, this argument mm-hmm. yeah i do remember that because yes. she starts freaking out and she's like I'm a woman and therefore I wouldn't have done it this way and I was like what this Doctor Who's supposed to be like that cheap cheesy special effects yes. and like it's, where David Tennant says timey wimey and it's what people go like myself go after when we don't identify with the sports get ball we seek escapism too and we seek it through narrative science fiction or other you know fictional uh, storylines and that's where we get our escapism and enjoyment and similar don't want it polluted with this nonsensical level of identity politics, which has completely infected whether it's sports, whether it's news, whether it's science fiction entertainment. It's so pervasive and overbearing. It's... It's it's almost unfathomable. We have to sit here and and explain this when there are several people that are listening right now that are watching right now that are also so exhausted with this. It's it's uh, you have to go through it yet again. We'll save your your condemnation for Disney because that's where that episode aired on Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about them next because, you know, good old Bob Iger's giving Mickey Mouse a Bud Light. So we'll get there. We will get there. But at the moment, I want to talk a little bit about. My cultural heritage. So, so I don't know if you know this, because uh, I, I, I oh, like to kind of right. keep this under the chest. I am indeed a federally registered, with the BIA card, yes. member of the Cherokee Nation. That is right. I, I have a, 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 it was a series of, of fun investigations that, that found this out. I wasn't actually aware and wasn't actually registered until I was out of college. Um, you say this is on a card? This is. So you literally have the race card and you can pull it out. <laughs> you know, there's there's a few numbers on there that would kind of keep me from waving it around that are a little personal. Someone out in Nebraska getting free dental because they've taken the number off my BIA card. But that what really gets me is that one of the things they were really upset about on Twitter today, that people have been raging about this young man who dared to wear a headdress. They said, well... He isn't allowed to wear uh, a headdress because um, the members of the Chunash tribe, they didn't wear headdresses. They wore like raccoon tails like a mohawk. And of course, the, the woman that was making this claim is this white liberal woman who has no idea where any of the tribes were sure, or what any of the tribal customs were 
or how any of the tribes function today or any of that kind of nonsense, nor the biggest point of culture. And as someone who actually gets to play the left's game here, I would like to completely step on it. And I talked to Red State a little bit this week. They wrote a, they wrote an article uh, on on that and a few other people's opinions. Culture is to be shared. Anytime someone mentions an aspect of the Cherokee culture or Irish culture, which I am split betwixt. And, and honestly, there are so many people who are like half Irish, half Native American. It really should be its own ethnic studies course at this point. But I am thrilled whenever someone mentions either of those cultures. I love it. There's a part of you that swells with pride whenever you see someone take part in culture. When I was in college, I lived in and out of Hispanic family households because the church I went to in East Delavan was a very majorly Hispanic church. And I talked with the dad and the mom of the house very often about things like culture and what it was really cool to see and really cool to share. And they loved seeing people in the local community take a little bit of their culture and take it somewhere else, a recipe, a piece of clothing, a photo. It turns out that some white liberal woman doesn't get to decide what culture you partake in. you can't win with the left. We've already established there is absolutely no consistency because when you participate in and enjoy culture, it's said to be cultural appropriation. But if you shun participation in culture, then it's xenophobic. You can't win with these people. No, you can't. We're well, not supposed to because, again, the entire framework of the left's idea on race identity politics is that you're supposed to apologize. And this is what Jewish people are finding out right now. Right. Like the the left was supposedly so anti-Semitic and protective of the Jewish people until the the pro Hamas Palestinian people got involved. Now Jews are all evil oppressors and they're all controlling their Jewish space later genocide cannons. So, again, you're right. You you absolutely cannot win with these. So so is the left kind of like the uh, political version of Catholicism? It's the guilt capital of the world. I am not going to say a solitary word about Catholicism on the air. I'm an atheist. I, I can shoot all kinds of crap. And and uh, I, I pray for you. And I, I just want you to know that. Up next, we're going to be talking a little bit about Disney. And uh, yeah, they have really gotten in a tizzy. Uh, they thought they were just going to score a home run over this whole Elon Musk Twitter thing. And it is not going in their favor. Stick around. This is the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. is the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett. Joining me this evening is Ethan Hatcher. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I actually got a, a few messages, uh, one message on Facebook, another message um, on Twitter over the break. And people are dreading the news that we are about to bring forward about Disney. Because there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, you have Disney adults who are like all in on Disney all the time, annual pass holder, that kind of a thing. Then you have people who just, they really like the magic of Disney. They think a lot of the stories were really great. They like the classic animations. A lot of the ways that, again, Pixar is its own animal of really great storytelling from back in the day. I The most recent one that I think that I enjoyed um, at least as far as a, I think it was a Pixar. I don't think it was Disney Animation Studios. Was a Inside Out? Yeah, yeah with the yeah. emotions. I really that thought was like that was fourteen, wasn't it? Uh, I, I, oh, it's that's almost ten old. years ago. Oh yeah. no, 
yeah, it's it's getting. But that's how how long it's been since Disney has produced quality material. Now you're just a couple of years behind me, but you were basically a child of the Disney Renaissance as well. I was born in '92, so that's coming off like what was '89, uh, Little Mermaid, which was their first resurgence and Little Mermaid was back in '89. I believe it was '88 or '89. Yeah, I, I honestly I thought it was an early '90s. Allison, remind me what uh what how uh, what year were were you from? Uh, we're the same age, so ninety four. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, you're well. I don't know. I'm a ninety five er. So. Oh, okay. Oh man, I, but you just had hit I after so hit youthful. in that era. You had, you, did. you know, you had uh, Lion Aladdin, King, Aladdin, Mulan, Hercules. Hercules. Oh, and they were they were so good. And the stories weren't political. They weren't ridiculous. They they weren't. They just had good quality writing because there was such a high standard. Well, they had messaging in there too. It was just done well, like with the Mulan female empowerment. But nobody had ever at any point felt like they were being preached at or talked down to by this female character who was embodied in Chinese mythology. You know what? You're right. You're you're absolutely right. That that absolutely trumps it, what what I had what I had just said. It's good to have some messaging in films, but it should never be so overt. Again, I, I point to Star Wars personally. The original Star Wars trilogy had several messages in the films mm-hmm. that were meant to convey certain things, but you never felt as though you were being preached at or that it was very overt. Meanwhile, the sequel trilogy he literally had some guy go, you know, rich people are making the good guy ships and the bad guy ships, right? <laughs> Capitalism. And it's like, gee, I wonder what this movie's trying to tell me. Yeah. But it gets both better and worse. And here's why. So Bob Iger, the CEO of, of Disney, uh, back sometime, I think back in June, said that he wants the company to quiet the noise in the culture war. So as you know, the right and the left have finally, the right has finally decided to kind of start trying to take back some culture. I know that uh, pretty soon the Daily Wire is releasing uh, the comedy Lady Ballers. I'm very, very excited to see that because there has not been a true comedy out, uh, at least like Dodgeball, for instance, since Dodgeball. Like we've gone a very long time. Yeah, exactly. We're like comedies were comedies. Mm -hmm. So the right is finally starting to take back some kinds of programming because it's just not being provided. How many parents out there right now are tired of giving their kids VeggieTales, Charlie Brown, McGee and me, uh, and, and all of the old Disney shows like bear in the big blue house. Um, I mean, there are just so many from like the 90s again that like we're giving our kids blues clues that there's just nothing in modern times to give them. So Bob Iger came out and he announced, hey, we're going to cut down the cultural noise. And oh, then such a lie, such a lie, such a lie, such a lie. Then they double down with their Snow White and their lead actress who's like, Snow you know beige. what? The story of Snow White's kind of like like really bad. And, and and then the dwarves who weren't dwarves and, and were all like a checklist and like a woke class representation list. She's it, saved by her stalker. Weird, weird, weird. Super strange, goofy nonsense. And it just got worse. I mean, it, things just continued to fall apart until finally Disney led a small movement to boycott Twitter. Elon Musk was accused of anti-Semitism. Again, kind of weird given that he just went over to Israel and like basically said, we're going to ramp up ways to combat uh, Hamas misinformation on the platform. Um, but he, apparently he's anti-Semitic because he said that there are a lot of Jewish organizations that leaned left that basically created the form of anti-Semitism that we see today, which 
is not a false. Accurate. That's yeah. a very accurate statement. That's it's, again when you play the oppressor versus the oppressed game. Eventually, you become the oppressor. Animal Farm. That's the whole point of the book. Well, these are also the same donors that are now pulling out of their funding for college campuses because they see the carnage that their ideology has wrought. They're like, whoa. Can't yeah, support that but, level of it. <laughs> absolutely. So here's here's this is a little bit of the Disney magic. So they gave Mickey a Bud Light and they're like, yeah, double down. You can do all your political messaging. No problem. We'll just ride out the storm because in June or right before June, Disney plus subscriptions were plummeting. Disney's losing money. Its parks are hemorrhaging right now. It's so bad. And a lot of Disney fans have tried to ignore this, but they've just continually lost legal battles in florida they had that little tax-free weirdo county that's been taken away and just now after elon musk on stage at a new york times presser um brilliant uh, told bob Iger directly in the crowd um to go screw himself and more more flavorful language we'll say uh now bob Iger has released a statement that says disney lost sight of its role to entertain Rather than push messaging, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't say. But it's it's too late now, and and I think there's there's twofold problems here. Like one, he's facing the pre- the pressure from just the pure financial aspect of it. Um, but then, second of all, I think he's under pressure to disclose this information to the shareholders. Like there, I believe there is a legal obligation when you're engaging act- in activity which could uh, further jeopardize the profitability of your company. You are required by law to give that information to shareholders. So they're having to share this information. But I don't. I think this is completely disingenuous. I don't think there's any attempt to reverse it because that. They're too far ingrained. How do you remove the staff members? Like they would have to completely change the staffing decisions that they have made over the past decade. And that's not going to happen overnight. Like that's not something that you could just flip a switch and and shift. I'm just saying that the one of the number one reasons, other than the fact that I refuse to spend like eight grand on a vacation that lasts three days, um, that I won't be taking my family to Disney is because I do not want some 35 year old hairy dude in a dress walking up to my daughter and and, and speaking to her, I, I'm just I just don't want that to happen. I, that is absolutely gross. You disgusting pervert. Get away. I don't think that is appropriate Go, regarding your staffing comment. Um, but this is this is this is the icing on the cake regarding talking to your shareholders. Iger's comments this week. This is according to FL Voice News. Iger's comments this week come shortly after the company warned in a recent SEC filing that there are present risks to their brand and reputation over the company continuing to pursue environmental and quote social goals end quote gee there are financial risks so what are people doing as of today they're dumping their stock in disney like they've dumped their stock in target like they dumped their stock in anheuser-busch because it turns out when you pursue 1% of the population's desires, you tend to cut out the other part of the population. Why would you shrink people that you want to buy from you? My question to you is, what do you think that they hope to gain by this? Because ostensibly, the goal would be to normalize their political persuasion on the broader populace. But this is so repellent to the majority of the population. They have lost so much money. They have lost so much of their audience. Like, it's it's clearly not gaining traction. Are they truly that invested in pushing the messaging? Or is there some other ulterior motive that we haven't parsed out? No, there, there are two motives. It's it's not as extremely malicious as everyone thinks it is. It is entirely the, the stupidity of a 
gender studies graduate out of college, and here's why. A company like that hires some young, woke goober, fresh out of her barista degree, to come in and start lecturing everyone over wokeness. Target just did that. They hired an LGBTQIA2 plus pride lead to come in and lecture the company. They come in and threaten Title IX complaints, and they threaten lawsuits, and they threaten canceling, and say, you need to do this. And what the person who is the nutcase thinks, and this is what they honestly believe, they think they're normal. And they think that deep, 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 deep down, we all think they're normal too, and all they have to do is break through the bigotry. Only the problem is, a lot of these people have genuine mental issues. I don't say that as a slam, they have gentle, genuine mental problems, and they're not normal. We don't think they're normal. I'm sorry, but like a dude in lingerie dancing in front of children is not normal. That's that's not a good thing. That's not Mrs. Doubtfire. That's perverted. And And that's and so that's why this is failing because as long as you have systems in which people who believe something is normal that isn't keep trying to push it the more that you basically have gears grinding against each other and engines can't run that way one of my favorite uh tiktok sound bites that i use regularly on saturday night on the show uh, uh circle is a tiktoker who said mental illness is a political party and it always has been of course she she didn't realize the little gem of truth that had been just dropped there but 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 i think it applies <laughs> I, I think that you're you're dead on and and thank you very much for mentioning your show i really apologize that i haven't done so yet ethan hatcher from saturday night on the circle joining me this evening you are listening to the tony kinnicast on 93 wibc it's the tony kinnicast on 93 wibc Welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. I got to ask you, Ethan, do you like or can you tell um, how I have managed to get the bumper track music around the YouTube copyright filter? No. Tell me some of the behind the scenes. So I have uh, uh, I, I love the opportunity to mention this. I have this musical ability called Perfect Pitch which allows me to hear what note something is. Yeah. And so I've taken all of the, a bunch of the songs that have been getting copyright flagged on YouTube and I have lowered them one half step. Um, so the YouTube algorithm does not recognize the wave patterns. And then for some, which it does anyway, I have slightly compressed the audio. So it is like one, like tenth of a second faster. Yeah, no, so, I, I do that. Little, oh, yeah, little yeah. tiny adjustments. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize that that was a way to get around the algorithm. Like sometimes it's just for time constraints. You want that bump music to play relatively quickly, so I'll compress it by like six percent or something, just fast enough that it's not usually perceptible to anybody but the true audiophiles like yourself. So that matters to me, especially because we're coming up on Christmas season, and I'm one of those weirdos that's actually going to, uh, you know, B one hundred five point seven is as great as they are. I'm going to have some Christmas music music bumping into my show and that includes uh some of the best christmas music of all time straight no chaser the acapella group from indiana university if you haven't heard their song indiana christmas you well you'll hear it on this show soon enough it's one of the best christmas songs of all time um and it's a little bit more difficult to compress and tweak acapella music because when there's no, no instrumentation behind it, it gets a little tricky. So just kind of keep an eye out for that. I'll look for your feedback, uh, you know, on, on the you offset. You going to do any uh, Kelly Clarkson? We'll talk about it. <laughs> Paul McCartney? Uh, I, I'm waiting for Allison just without warning to drop the Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas in on me. Just at some point. I know she's going to just drop it in at the most inopportune time. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of Christmas, you know who else is a really big fan of Christmas, Ethan? Hamas. 
Hamas. How so? How so? Well, so what do you mean? All, a lot of these people on the alt right who who have, and I, when I mean the alt right, I mean the kind of populists who also like slip a little anti-Semitism into their tea. And they they say, well, really, Hamas isn't fighting Israel because they're Jews, even though there are all of those videos saying they want to kill Jews. Uh, they're like, really, they just don't like that those those Jews are living in Israel, so it's Zionism that's the problem. And okay, all right, I, I hear that argument, and then to to kind of ante up, like, why are you supporting radical Islamic jihadists? Like, why are you supporting? They say, well, they're okay with Christians, and I've heard that line. From people all the way to TP USA who've said just the wild well, they you know, they they, they, they don't hate Christians. Surely this must be the exact same crowd as like the purple hair LGBTQ for Palestine. Well that's who their ally that's who their allies are. So that's <sighs> one of the points of irony in the whole like sort of okay with Hamas isolationists that are in the United States and the hyper isolationists, because there's like good isolationism where you're like, I don't want anybody, including Israel, to receive uh, foreign funding for the United States. Totally different. That's a very That's valid a viewpoint. Position. I am okay with that because it is a universal policy of I'm not given foreign aid. I'm talking about people who are like Israel is committing super duper genocide and the Jews are terrible. Those individuals who have said that Hamas is pro-Christmas, I have bad news for you because now pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian crowds, ladies and gentlemen, have now interrupted three major Christmas tree lighting uh, kind of ceremony things around the country, including assaulting New York City Police Department officers um, while screaming things like kill the Christians. Uh, you know, you know, if a really pro-Christian pro thing to right. say, Ethan, is uh, kill the Christians. So that was the Rockefeller Christmas lighting. Uh, what were the other two or was it two more of the same event? Uh, no, one was in a, a, a smaller town in Oregon, not too far from Portland. So, you know, obviously Makes sense. <laughs> that tracks. And, yeah. And then the, the one this is this is very recent. This is uh, coming out of North Carolina that there's an incident. Uh I do not have the cities for the following, but allegedly these some of these are being investigated. Uh, that there are reports of anti-Semitic vandalism of the nativity scenes that uh, some churches and like local communities people are putting up around there. Um, so like big pal- pro-Palestine stickers and spray paint on the side of like Jesus manger and kind of like the enclosure around Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So uh, for, for all of the, the wise individuals out there who, who have a zero-sum politics idea that, well, you know, Hamas isn't really our problem. These radical Muslims, that Bush fomented all this hatred and they're just acting naturally. I will remind you that the number one killer of Christians throughout uh, the entire existence of Christianity has been Islamic Jihad. The first Islamic caliphate killed an estimated 1.8 million Christians in 10 years. And that was just burning through half of Europe and Africa at a time when there weren't just millions of people lying around. Um, Radical, and I'm not talking about Sunni Muslims here, I'm talking about Shia Muslims. This kind of nonsense, uh, they hate Jews and Christians very much the same. Um, And they, they kind of say that openly, Ethan. So... In much the same way, they say from the river to the sea, they make their their, their bad intentions very explicitly well known and documented. I, and that's why it's so baffling to me that you have these individuals who come away with bizarre impressions like Hamas is okay with Christians. What? I, I, I don't understand. These these people have lost their mind. I, I not do paying want attention. To, I do want to flip it around to a a more positive note here at the end, and that is that uh, the. 
a lot of this junk that you're seeing does really tend to occur with the excessively online crowd. Yeah. And a lot of these incidents, although in inner cities they are rough, in the vast majority of the country, in red and blue states, people are recognizing how patently insane this is. There have been a good number of resolutions condemning this kind of behavior from both Republican and Democrat-controlled majorities. And there have been a lot of moments in the last couple of weeks where I have seen people, Jewish and Gentile, um, Sunni Muslims, um, as well as Christians, agnostics, and atheists, come together and say that Western culture does indeed have intrinsic value because of the reliance on good traditionalism that rejects the kind of barbarism that comes from this kind of radical Islamic jihad. And that's not something that we would have been able to agree on like four or five years ago, even still the entire left was saying that everything was Islamophobia. Now it seems that the left can't even rally a lot of their own people. I mean, you were talking earlier about a lot of the individuals who had donated large sums of money to very progressive universities that have begun revoking that. I mean, we talked with individuals at MIT and at Cooper union who were surrounded by these packs of violent, insane, like lynch mobs in the case of a New York city high school in Queens. Yeah. I mean, this really is, I think that high school teacher who was backed into what was it like a closet for a couple hours? Yeah. A health teacher was backed into a closet. I think the point that I'm trying to make here and forgive me for being a little verbose is that I think that the, the radical left, the far progressive left that allies with a lot of this behavior, the, the decolonization left, they've played their hand too early. They have, they've played it five or 10 years, just too early before they could really bring along enough of the generation into adulthood where it could be completely normalized. And that's why you see this utter confusion in the White House right now, because the Democrats don't really know how to set a policy forward, because so many Democrats still support Jewish people and Israel as a whole. I think they've also chosen the wrong hill to die on, metaphorically, uh, when you're supporting the group which openly rapes women, murders children, beheads babies, and burns the bodies of the, 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 the civilians. Like, it's clear to tell who's the wrongdoer there. You would think you you would think. But honestly, as we go through, you know, this this season in December, as we start to kind of look at uh, bringing policies to a close up to the primary, we start to really get into the 2024 uh, election campaign season and people really start to bring their best and worst to bear. I think we're going to get a better look at how the future of this country is determined. And that brings it around to why the debate tonight, I think, is more important than perhaps it's it's being given credit for. Ethan, thanks for hopping on with us tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Make sure to catch his show Saturday night on The Circle. And you have been listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC.